Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Uh, work with college students, as Pastor Nate had kind of mentioned, and a lot of times people ask the question, kind of like, okay, what are you guys doing in Chi Alpha? Like, what does that look like? Like, you can kind of get a, a sense of what your pastor does, uh, maybe other types of ministries, but like, what does it look like to do campus ministry? And, and an example I'll sometimes use is if you could imagine sort of these two contrary uh, ministers that were in your church. And one minister was what I'm going to call a super evangelist. And think like Billy Graham, think Reinhard Bonnke, if you know who that is. Think like, like the greatest names in evangelism and say like that person was in your church and they actually reached a million people a year for the gospel. I mean, that would be pretty impressive, pretty cool. And that would be certainly something to celebrate. But let's say you also in your church had someone that we're just going to call a faithful discipler. And this person has one person that they pour into for a year, but, but they're pouring their life into this person, they're doing life together, they're ministering relationally, they're ministering the gospel in and through that relationship. And the difference, though, with that context is the faithful discipler, the person they minister to, then is able to turn around and do that for someone else. Okay, so in about 10 years, you would be very excited about the 10 million people that the super evangelist reached, and you would kind of pat the faithful discipler on the back and say, hey, that's really sweet, and that's, that's great. We, we appreciate you too. Kind of a second thought. But, but over time, what we begin to change is you start to see as the faithful discipler raises up a, a generation of disciple makers, the way that the world would actually be changed. In, a, in about, if you want to do the numbers, in about 32 years, the faithful discipler would reach the world and the super evangelist wouldn't even keep up with the growth curve of the world. And, and so when we talk about Chi Alpha, really kind of the philosophy that we work with is this idea of like we try to make a, a disciple makers out of a generation of young people. And, and a lot of times people are concerned about the you know, university campus, the secular campus. They're very, you know, there's a lot of things that we hear about with the campuses. And, and there's a lot of tough things. I mean, it's a battlefield. There's no question. This is, this is you know, I tell people you don't have to be a prophet to know the future of the world. You just have to go on to a secular university. It might take them 20, 30 years on the campus to have the authority and the power to shape the world in their own image, but the university student is going to shape the world in their own image eventually, and their identity is being shaped on the campus. The question is, what is it being shaped by God or shaped by other things in this world? And so we raise up within college students people who are learning to be ministers of the gospel, and it's a really exciting thing. This is the cool thing. Like, I, I tell this story sometimes of, of one, one narrative, and I've got about 100 of these, but one narrative that we started with. When we pioneered at CSU, Colorado State, about 13 years ago, there was no other Chi Alphas left in Colorado. We'd had some history here, but there was no Chi Alphas here at the time. And so we were starting from scratch, and this one young man that I, that I brought with me, we, I had spent some time in Texas, I brought a team with me, and this one guy, his name's Josh Nicholas. He had given his life to the Lord, uh, in Chi Alpha, and, and he came with me to CSU, and he met this guy, Daniel Frank. And, and Daniel was just this Christian young guy. He, he wanted to love the Lord, but there was all this, you know, all this secularism, all these temptations, all this 
you know, stuff going on around him. He's like, how do I live out my faith? Well, Josh acted like that faithful discipler in Daniel's life and just walked with him in college. And eventually, Josh would go help. Uh, we pioneered a Chi Alpha in Russia. That's a whole different conversation. But, but he went and helped lead that Chi Alpha in Russia for a couple of years. He's now helping lead one of the fastest growing Chi Alphas in the country at the moment. Um, but, but Daniel now, he's been living out his faith well. And when Josh left, Daniel turned around and said, all right, let me do that. And so he met this guy in the dorms that was really kind of a sketchy guy. His name was Matt. And Matt was, I joke, you know, somebody you didn't want to meet late at night in the dark alley. You know, he's really into martial arts. He had a lot of prison tattoos. He was dealing drugs when we met him. And, and Daniel just began to love this guy and began to fight for this guy and, and minister to him and pursue him relationally. And Matt would actually have just 180 transformation. And he would give his life to the Lord and he would begin to just be part of our ministry. And Daniel would leave. He'd go help with a church plant in Denver. And Matt was on campus. And so he turned around and said, well, who can I minister to? And one of the guys that he met was this guy, Alex. And Alex had no church background, no history uh, with Christianity. But Matt just began to pursue Alex. And Alex gave his life to the Lord. And Alex was just this young guy. He had no church history. I love people who have no church backgrounds because they don't know what they're not supposed to be able to do. Um, <laughs> They're just like, this is normal. So he just, like, well, he's reading the Bible. So he just goes out. Yeah, he was more bold. He didn't know he was supposed to be embarrassed about being a Christian. So he was just so bold. He'd go out on campus and pray for people, non, like, all the time. And, and one girl that a number, him and a number of friends of his in, in his small group that were, they were just kind of, like, connecting to on, like, in their classes and then just in other ways was this girl, Dan, uh, uh, Danny. And, no, actually, I'm talking about Danny. Emmy, uh, Emmy was this self-proclaimed queer on the campus, and she walked with a cane. She had this like degenerative bone uh, disorder in her leg, and there was a number of different people that kind of were through Chi Alpha were ministering to her indirectly. But but they just saw her on campus one day, said, "Hey, can we pray for you?" And she told me later that she was like, "Just whatever gets you away from me, weirdos. Like, just sure, do your thing." So they prayed for her until all of a sudden, Lord healed her. <laughs> She, had, she never walked with a cane again. Uh, she began to claim her femininity. A really powerful thing happened, and, and she became a small group leader for us and started seeing girls transformed in her life, right? And so and on and on it goes, right? Yeah, it's cool, right? It's just, just really an awe. And now, now I've got students in the ministry through that lineage. And so very quickly, we see, uh, sometimes we call it transgenerational discipleship. We see the transitions of the generations quickly happen, but through that, what's exciting is both we are seeing young people raised up. We are making a generation of disciple makers, um, and, and they're impacting their, their world because the most impactful person, I'll be honest, is not me. I'm not the most influential person on the campus. Uh, by any stretch, but the most influential person is that student learning to live out their faith and learning to look around them and begin to minister to their friends. And, and that kind of permission giving, that kind of witness, that kind of testimony is something that's transforming them because their perception of Jesus, their idea of the church is very disconnected from any personal experience. I was even talking with, with Pastor Nate yesterday, like when we pioneered CSU, the average student probably had a little history with the church. I mean, 
very, very small, but like a grandmother took them to VBS when they were a kid, or they maybe had a friend that was in a youth group and they come once in a while. But like now it's, it's totally gone. The average college student at CSU, the connection is completely gone. And so their perception of the church is strictly based on no experience themselves, but strictly based on kind of cultural uh, narratives. And the cultural narratives are very antagonistic. Like I have one friend who came back from our ministry in Russia and, and told me, like, Nate, CSU is harder right now than Russia. Because at least there they're atheists and ignorant, so they'll have the conversation here. It's antagonistic. And so how do you minister to this world? Because the university is not unique unto itself. This is our world. This is our state. This is our country. This is where we're heading. And how do we, as a church, advance the kingdom of God? You know, Jesus said, the gates of Hades will not overcome you, which is not a defensive statement. We are not the gate hiding in our, in our walls saying, you know, out secularism, we're going to protect ourselves. No, the, you know, he's making an offensive statement. The gates of Hades will not overcome you because we're advancing into the world. So what does it look like to advance the kingdom of God into the world around us? And so I want to spend a little time there, but it's, it's a lot of fun what I get to do. I mean, doing campus ministry keeps you on your toes because we work with, with university students. And I've got these 19-year-olds who are, who are ministering to Saudi Arabians, and you can't even be a missionary in Saudi Arabia, hardly, but, but here they are in, in droves, and they're having these conversations, and then they're ministering to their friends who are atheists or who are wrestling with questions of sexuality and identity, and, all, and this is just a regular week for them, right? And they're like, how do I, you know, what do I do? And so we walk with them. Uh, we, walk, we work with the nations, and the nations are coming to us. And, and we have this one young man that uh, when we met him, he wanted absolutely nothing to do with God. He, long story short, one of my small group leaders really began to just pursue him, completely transformed his life. He gave his life to the Lord. He's now on staff with me. He's ministering. Uh, he grew up actually in Indonesia. He's, a, he's American, but kind of grew up there. And so he's ministering to all these Indonesian students. One of them is actually a Timorian, which is kind of like a former Indonesian uh, colony, but now it's its own country. And his family is grooming him to become the president of the country someday. He's from the ruling class, and you know who knows what will happen in his life, but it's actually a very reasonable probability that he could become the president of this little country someday. But right now, he's just getting right with God and learning to, to love Jesus, and he actually wants to become a small group leader for us, and we're, we're getting him ready for that. But you know, we're making disciple makers out of the nations, right? We're raising up these young people uh, in this moment where they're wrestling with that. And, and we're sending them out. Uh, I, I've been told recently, I've, uh, I was talking with Chi Alpha is connected with the assemblies. The assemblies is, has one of the largest missions entities in the world. And the head of that is this guy named Greg Mundus. Right now, he's just kind of the, the leader of the World Missions Program. And I talked with him a few years ago and just said, hey, what do we need to do to pre better prepare you know, these students that are going into missions? And he said, honestly, these Chi Alpha students are the most equipped we're getting right now because they have this experience in real world like interaction with you know, all these different cultural backgrounds and understanding how to minister to people. But, but we're seeing more go into world missions through Chi Alpha than in any other frame right now is what I was told recently. And so we're raising up missionaries out of the secular university. And, I, and my wife likes to say, like, the enemy must really hate this, right? Like, this is their ground. This is their world, right? And we're going in there like, no, we're just going to use this to, like, transform the world. And, and so this is, you know, it's fun. 
But you know, most of our students, they, they go in just, they go and become engineers and teachers and accountants. And, and you know, we have, we have one girl that a couple years ago, very talented engineering student, she graduated and she got a job working for Honda uh, in their engineering department. And so she just started ministering to her, her coworkers. She didn't know what else to do. She's like, well, I just, that's what we do, right? So, we, so she just started like sharing her faith and being relational and talking with people. And she had all these people that were so interested in her faith. She was like, let's get together once a week just over lunch and just kind of, you know, we can have some intentional time. And so many people from her job were trying to hang out with her during her like her lunch meeting that she started having to have to do multiple uh, meetings every week just with people in her job, right? And so raising up a generation of disciple makers, like, what does that look like? And so I want to spend just a little time here this morning. Um, I, I'm actually changing the scripture verse I'm going to focus on uh, than what I was planning on. But if you have your Bible with, with you, or uh, I think on the screen right above my head here, uh, Matthew chapter 9, you can, you can go there. I'm just going to look at um, this, this passage. But I want to spend a little time and just talk about, like, what... what um, Kind of the secret sauce we talk about in Chi Alpha, which is not unique to us. It's not secret. Uh, it's not even complicated. But I do think it is the thing that, one, is one of the most profound concepts to me uh, that, that our world needs to understand, to experience. And, and one of the most amazing things about our God is, is what we're going to talk a little bit about here. There's, of course, um, uh, so many but one thing that I think is so interesting is in Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, it says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, Matthew being this tax collector, many of you, if you know much about the New Testament, know this story. He's this tax collector. He's kind of hated by the world around him. But he's hanging out with Jesus. And so he invites his friends, many tax collectors and sinners, came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, these religious leaders of his time, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Right? And my, my degree is in accounting. I'm a B, I have a BS in accounting. My wife's a CPA. Right? And so it's, as much as you hate going and getting your taxes done you know, now, back then they were, they were like the enemy. Right? They were the ones getting money for the Roman you know, overlords, and they were the ones selling out their own country, their own culture, their own people for, for this, this Roman rule. And so they were really hated. They were despised deeply uh, at their time. Yeah, and sinners, like they had this own, this own category for tax collectors. But on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, it's, what's so cool is Jesus talks about like, hey, I came. Now, if you think about it, he is the only human in history that actually chose his birth. He's the only person who actually chose to show up, right? We all, we all were chosen because some parents or some adults got together and said, you know, let's have a kid or by accident. But in one way or another, we did not choose coming into this world. But Jesus chose to actually show up. And like, why did he choose that? Well, he came to have this connection with humanity. It's like he came to take care of those who were sick, so to speak. And, and this idea of our God is pursuing after us. 
that he pursued us. He didn't say, hey, come to where I'm at, come to heaven. You know, even if we could have, even if he opened the doors in some way, even if that was even possible, which, which it wasn't before the cross, but even if that was a concept, we wouldn't have even wanted to because he showed up to us and we still would put him on the cross. Right? Like He had to come near to us. He had to draw near to where we were because we were not able or even wanted to come near to where he was. So what does that look like? that God would actually pursue us where we are. And if you've followed after God for any length of time, you have learned that this concept, whether you've put language to it or just in your experience, you've learned this idea. God is pursuing hard after you. That God is pursuing you in your situations. And whether that is in, in the muck and the mire, in, in the hurt, in the pain, in the challenges, in the uncertainty, in the things going right in your life, in the joys, or the things that are going wrong and in the challenges, in whatever way, God is actually pursuing you. That working with university students, I get everything. I mean, it's, you know, I talk to a student and I don't know what, what kind of faith type conversation I'm going to have. So, so, you know, I could tell you this, though. Christianity is so strange in the world, in the conversation of faith and belief in God. And, and you know, it's so strange that God would, would come to us. It's all about us trying to get to God. But our God actually comes to where we are. And that's such a weird thing. That's such a strange idea that he would actually draw near. That actually to the Greeks around uh, the early church, the idea of even God's being in human form wasn't actually that strange. God came in a way that all the world could sort of get their heads around a little bit of him. But what was strange was that he came in a way that was so lowly that he wasn't even hanging out with the elite. You know, if you're God, you would think that he would hang out with, like, the world leaders and the influencers and the powerful and be comfortable or as comfortable as he could outside of heaven, right? But here he comes to to the weak and the lowly. He comes into the filth and the hurt and the pain in his world. He's like, hey, I'm not coming for those who are healthy, which actually they weren't even healthy, right? He's talking to these Pharisees, and other times he's actually like, you're not even, you're not even, you know, righteous, but we'll get to that later. And so I want, to, I want to just talk for a few minutes here this morning about what does that look like to, to both recognize that God is pursuing us and to how we respond in kind in pursuing the world around us. But pursuit, pursuit is, is so central because one, we have a God who's pursuing us physically. Like he literally came to this earth. And, and if you don't realize this, if you don't know this, let me just tell you, God is pursuing you in your life. That he is, he is looking for that opportunity. Now, now he's, not, he's a gentleman, and he's not going to force himself on you. Like, he's not going to force his, his presence, his reality, his situation into your life, which is maybe why at one time Jesus is talking with these religious leaders, and they're like, give us a sign. Prove it to us. Show us that you're real, uh, that you are who you say you are. And he basically said, well, I'll give you the sign of Jonah, which is like, you're going to kill me and I'm going to rise. But basically he said, no. He just walked away. He's like, I'm going to do that. You're not even going to believe in that. I'm not going to convince you. But Jesus was fine with helping people who were questioning and wrestling because doubting Thomas would happen shortly later. And Thomas is like, people don't come back from the dead. I'm not sure I believe in that. And Jesus, what does he do? He shows up. He says, here's my hands. Here's my side. Touch me. 
know that I'm real. That God, he is a gentleman, but you have to come to a place of saying, God, okay, are you real? We had this guy that we met one of our, our, our very first year. His name was Chris Hewitt. And Chris was this, he was a Californian. And don't hold that against him, I know. But he was this Californian, and he was moving to Colorado. He came to CSU because, as he said it, he wanted to live life to the fullest. And his idea of living life to the fullest was to snowboard on the weekends, uh, party on the weekdays, and if he was sober enough, come to class at least enough times that he could pass the classes and keep doing that. So he, that's what he did. That's how he lived. And yet he met uh, a couple of my staff and students that first year. And he loved the way that they just loved each other, the way that they just had this friendship and this community. And, you know, we, we're not, you know, we're not boring. In fact, our Chi Alpha at CSU, we have this reputation, even within Chi Alpha, of being one of the rowdiest groups, right? Like, I, I shouldn't even say this. My wife rolls her eyes every time I say this. But we kind, of, we kind of judge how well the start of our school year goes by how many times the police show up, um, because, because we're like, we're having more fun and we're, we're being more loud and proud than all the fraternities and all the, you know, uh, you know, the actual parties. The police love it as soon as they find out there's no alcohol. They're like, really? It takes us about 10 minutes to convince them. No, really, walk around. I promise you. There's, but, but they're like, okay, well, you know, have fun. And, but, but, you know, we can have more fun on accident than most people have on purpose. This is supposed to be a joy. We have the joy of the Lord. We have more freedom. I was a frat guy in college. I can tell you what the party scene is. The party scene is the only way I can find freedom in my life is by covering up the thing that's hurting inside of me. So I'm going to, like, dull the pain so I can be free. You know, we can be free without that. You know, what's more manly than that? What's more free? What's more powerful? What's more, like, true to ourselves? Being like, well, I'm going to, like, hide the thing that's keeping me from true freedom or actually embracing God who's freeing us that way. So, so here we are. And so here's Chris, and he's just like, I don't get you guys. I don't get this. And, and so I actually had a staff guy come up to me who, and say, hey, can I kick him out? <laughs> and he said, can I kick him out of, of Chi Alpha? And I'm like, kick him out? No, why? Why do you want to kick him out? He's like, because he is such a distraction. Like we do like a weekly meeting uh, for our small group and he comes and he'll either sleep in the corner or he's so antagonistic about Christianity that he's just distracting everyone who is there to like learn, right? He like, he comes around all the time, but he just wants nothing to do with God when we're talking about God as we're hiking in 14 or hanging out. And I'm like, yeah, but he's there. What is going, why is he there? And, and so he, my staff guy said, okay, all right, I'll, I'll hold on. And so all of a sudden Christmas break happens. He goes home to California, and Josh starts getting these texts from Chris and these real questions. He's like, why are you guys so different? And he comes back from Christmas break, and we discover that he goes back home. He has time to reflect. He sees his old friends, and he's like, you guys are so different than this, and, and there's something about you guys, and I, I can't figure it out. I can't get it into my worldview, right? We always try to put God into our worldview, and it's hard. We try to, you know, he, he kind of breaks out of our boxes. But the kingdom of God, it, whenever people interact with the kingdom of God, it's hard. It doesn't quite fit what we're used to. And so he said, why are you guys so different? And Josh is like, you know why, Chris. He's like, really? Jesus? Are we really? Like, yeah, you know it's, you, you know it's true. He's like, okay. But here's the thing. For the first time, Chris started saying, God, who are you really? And, and it's really funny because he had this moment when he said, God, basically he said, God, are you there? And God answered. 
freaked him out. <laughs> Had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. He was like, I didn't really want an answer. He wasn't really looking for an answer, right? But God's like, I'm here. But we have to be at a place to say, God, are you real? And God's okay with that question. It's when we stand in judgment over God and like, oh, prove it to me. He's like, no, no. Because you're not looking for a Lord. You're looking to be Lord. And, and so God here, here he is, but God is pursuing us in our space. And sometimes that means that you've had a friend or a coworker. And sometimes that means you had a family member or a situation or something that has led you even to this space here to say, God, who are you? And God is pursuing you. I had a guy in my fraternity when I was in college that um, he, was, he was this guy, Gopal, and he came up to me one day and he said, Nate, um, well, I'm not trying to be derogatory, but just this is the way he said it. He said, Nate, uh, Christianity is stupid. I'm like, okay. He's like, you don't seem uh, stupid. <laughs> Thanks, I think. Um, but that doesn't make, those don't compute, right? And and so I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about that, right? And, you know, and I'm, I'm just a college guy. I'm learning how to, like, you know, walk with people in these different phases of life and situations that they find themselves in. But we have these conversations. And, and by the end of college, he, he never gave his life to the Lord, but he came to this place. He told me, he said, Nate, I, I no longer think Christianity is illogical. I, I can see why it's rational. I don't believe in it, but I can see why you would believe in it and why it could be rational. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, you know, that's something. That's good. Um, and then a couple years later, he got a hold of me and said, Nate, um, I'm a follower of Jesus now. I'm like, and this guy, I mean, he, in my fraternity, he was like one of the most like, you know, far. Actually, the people who are the farthest from God are the a- apathetic. We think they're a little bit closer. Actually, I would take a, I would take a Paul any day. You know, Paul, he's persecuting the church. God shows up. Why? Because he's just, he's passionate. He's engaged. He's in, involved, right? It's apathetic who are, you know, they're the furthest. But, but here he was, Gopal, he was, like the, he was like the antagonist, right? He was that guy. And he's like, I'm a follower of Jesus now. I'm like, what? How did that happen? And he said, I had, I was snowboarding and I had an accident and I blew out my knee and I don't remember the exact nuance of the details, but I don't think he had insurance and he, he had to have surgery, I remember that. And he was in a real tough spot. Uh, he, you know, he didn't, he was just a single guy, young guy. He didn't have any money. He couldn't, he couldn't work because he was laid up after uh, being at the hospital and all the surgery. And he was just financially, and he was just really in a tough situation. And when he was at the hospital during the surgery, he found that this guy Gideon had left his Bible there uh, in the hospital room. And so he started reading it. And again, he doesn't know enough to know that, you know, this is, you know, you know, a theological debate or a question or anything. But he just reads, and he's like, wow, God heals. And so he comes back from the hospital, and he's in his room, and he's laid up, and he can't work, and he's in a tough spot. And he just says, all right, there was, there was me, and there was this one other guy named Jared that we were Christians in this fraternity. And, and so he doesn't know anything, so he just says, okay. He puts his hand on this Bible, he puts his hand on his knee, and he says, the God of Jared and Nate, if, if you're real, I need help. You know, God, God is invading our space. God is pursuing us, and physically pursuing us. And it, it really freaks college students out when he literally shows up uh, to, to their saying, God, are you real? But it's an amazing thing that God is there. 
But we have to come to this place of saying, God, okay, I'll, if you're God, I'll bow. But if I want to be God of my own life, he's like, okay, you can, you can do that. You can try to be God of your own life. But you have to choose. Right? But God, God didn't just pursue physically. He pursued uh, relationally. Right? Here, are these, here are these people, these tax collectors and sinners, and he's just eating with them. Which is which was so scandalous because at that time, and if you know anything about the history of this time, right, like eating is is almost a statement of acceptance. It's a statement of like belonging, of connection, of saying relationally, like we're tethering our lives together. And and so to invite someone over your dining room table is to say, I want to be connected to you. Where to the Pharisees, they, they had this religious mindset that said, if we could get all of Israel to act perfectly, to act it out perfectly, then we could actually see the Messiah come. And, and so their job, their mindset was like, we have to separate from anyone who is not acting uh, in, in the religiously correct way. And so they separated themselves um, and, and were trying to lead Israel to, to really conjure up the Messiah through, through righteousness in their own minds. But here is the Messiah, and they reject him because he's not acting the way that they expected him to act. They weren't act he wasn't acting the way they acted. And too often, we have this temptation. We have the temptation to say, God, if you're real, you will conform to me. And you'll conform to my way of doing things. And we reject God because he's not like us. And I see this all the time on the campus. Because we think we're God. We think we know better than God. We think we sh he should be like us and act the way we do and have our own opinions and have our own you know, political stances and have our own you know, you know, ideas of identity and, and religiosity. and all. He should be like us. But we're just saying, God, you should conform to us. Instead of God, he shows up. He says, hey, you got to conform to me. And, and so there's these guys, they reject him. But what he does is he hangs out with these lowly people who know they're screwed up and that they're looking for someone to help him. And so here is Jesus, and he shows up, and he's relationally connecting to them. He's relationally pursuing them. Like, we, we often say that um, the church has made a, it's a good statement, and it's a correct one. I believe in it wholly, that, that people have to belong before they believe. Um, and, and that's just a statement to say, like, hey, people need to feel the community of God. They need to feel connected. They need to feel welcome. They need to be able to kind of experience the community of God before they're going to create a desire in them for God. Right? Oftentimes, we say, like, you know, people will love what you love if they love you. People love the things that you love if they love you. And so if you love God and you love them, eventually they're going to learn to love God through that relationship with you if you're being open and honest about that. But, but that relationship, that tether, the problem is, is our world is looking at us and we're saying as a church, hey, belong, and you'll learn to believe. And the world around us is looking and saying, well, we don't want to belong. <laughs> we have no need for you. We have no desire for you. Like, why would we belong? And, and the story of the incarnation, the story of Jesus coming in human form, coming to be with us, is a declaration that God said, hey, you can't belong to where I am, so I'm going to belong to where you are. I'm going to come into that place. But it wasn't just physically invading so that he could say, hey, act this way like the Pharisees. Like, act this way and it'll all be good. Like, there is a place for that, but only within the relationship of saying, this is, this is why. I'm inviting you into relationship with me. And so God was pursuing us relationally. And we need to pursue each other relationally. We recognize that God is, is inviting us 
you know, into a relationship with him. And that's not just a tagline in Christianity. That's not just like some kind of like, you know, cool, like sort of state. This is, this is so strange. It's such a weird idea that, that we actually say God himself, being a triune God, is intrinsically relational. Find, find me any other philosophy that actually, or religion or anything, that can actually give a good answer for why love exists or why it should exist. Right. Even in naturalism, if the world is just how it is because it was just an accident, then love ceases to have any meaning. It's just you know, survival instincts that helped us out. But it has no meaning. It, it, draw, it either reduces the significance of the concept or it eliminates it altogether. If you, if you, don't, if you believe in you know, Allah, there, there's no basis for his, his love because he himself is not a relational being. He's a singular being that just created us. So there's no basis for relationship. He's not relational. He didn't need us. But God, God is this triune being. And it's actually making the statement that in his very nature, he himself is relational. And he invites us into that relationship as a result. And I love that idea, that God is inviting us into that. But he is calling us in, in following Jesus to say like, hey, if you're going to be like me, the Great Commission, go and make disciples. That was a statement of go, go do what I did. When he said go, it wasn't, hey, invite. It was get out. Get out from where you're comfortable. Get out from where you're safe. Get out from where you feel like you're in control and get into their mess, get into their space where they're comfortable and start to invade that world. Right? Like I, have, I have a bunch of students who they graduated and they just have this relationship with each other and they love the relationship they have with one another. So they're like, you know, and honestly, in this generation coming up, meaningful, authentic relationships are so novel, so strange, that when they experience it, they're like, we just don't want to, like, leave it because they kind of realize it's going to be really hard to ever find it again. And so they have this tendency of actually staying together. And, and so there was, like, a dozen or more of them that just graduated, and they're like, you know what, let's just get together and we're going to move into Denver, and we have these convictions to reach our world, and we have this community with each other, but let's just invade a neighborhood in Denver. And so two of them were engineers, made some money pretty quick, and they bought houses on the same street uh, in, this, in this part of Denver, and they just invited a bunch of their friends to be roommates with them, and they just started reaching out to their neighborhood. They just started pursuing relationships with their neighbors and pursuing the... the businesses around them and started inviting people from their work into this community they had with each other. They just went into that space. But it was, a re- it was saying, hey, we're going to pursue physically, but not just that. We're going to relationally tether to the world around us as God has, has tethered us to each other and to himself. Uh, lastly, is that God pursues us spiritually. And uh, that concept in our world is, is very riddled. I just use that word for lack of a better concept, but, but you know, people are very spiritual today. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they have any idea of who God is. But, but God pursued us, when, when we say spiritually, we mean God is inviting us to tether to him. And so Jesus is saying here, he said, hey, the healthy don't need a doctor, it's the sick who need a doctor. And I've come to, to bring healing into this world. And healing in what way? healing that, that we would learn to tether to our God, that we would learn to experience that, that, as Jesus would say, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. He's inviting us into this place of renewed, new life, resurrected life, and connecting with our creator because he's a relational God, and he made you 
relational with a purpose of connecting with that creator. And, and that relationship is the goal. That's, that's all the other things in Christianity serve that agenda, that goal to connect with God and ultimately with each other. And so we see God pursuing us. We had, we had an opportunity years ago, my wife and I, uh, to, to pioneer the first Chi Alpha in Russia, and I kind of mentioned that. And so we took four, four of us from CSU, and we pioneered this Chi Alpha in Russia. And we just meet these students. One guy that we met was this guy, Dima. And Dima uh, was kind of stereotypical Russian. He was kind of like antagonistic to America. And, and he, he was very stoic. In fact, internally, he was very depressed. But one of my staff guys met him, Brent. And Brent just, just, he moved into the dorms so he could be near the students. And he just began to minister to his friends. And he hung out with Dima. And Dima, he kind of said, he's like, if you told me that an American, that an American would be my best friend, he said, I would have laughed at you six months ago. But Brent just so pursued Dima. And, you know, and the funny thing was is that Brent would always bring up the Lord, but he just let the friendship be about other things. Like he, you know, they would play basketball and they would talk about class and they'd do homework or whatever. But, but he just would talk about the Lord. And Dima said, I just have to endure a little God talk if I hang out with Brent. But for the sake of this kind of life-giving friendship, he's like, I'm, I'm willing to endure a little God talk once in a while. I guess that's just the price I paid to hang out with Brent, right? So Brent was just, he was just open. He was honest. He was real. But he let the friendship just be about like where Dima was at. And, and through that interaction, Dima started coming around. So Brent was pursuing Dima and pursuing him physically, pursuing him relationally. So there, then he could invite him into our community. And he started hanging out with us. And, he, and the Russians used to say that we, had, we were bright eyes, is what they called us behind our backs, because they said there was something in their eyes that is different, and we're not quite sure what that is, but um, so Dima was hanging out, and, and he's just, what is this? What is this? What is this connection? What is this community that they have? What is this meaning and purpose in life that they seem to have? And, and eventually, through that interaction, Dima would come up to Brent after he left a hangout that we had had that evening, and he, they were going back to the dorms, and Dima just turned to him and said, all right, let's do this. And Brent didn't, didn't even know what he was talking about. So like, do what? Like, you want to study tomorrow? Or like, what? what? <laughs> like, Dean was like, no, I'm ready. I want Jesus. And, and Dima was like, oh, or Brett was like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, great, sweet. You know, it's like, you know, it's like you're so, you're so not ready for the thing you're like fighting for in someone when they actually like, yeah, I want Jesus. They're like, wait, what? Oh, uh, I'm not ready for that. You know, come back to me. I need a... What, what do we do? How do we do that again? Right? You know, he was just like, oh, okay. So, so Dima gave his life to the Lord, and it was one of the most powerful transformations I'd ever seen. He, he actually had uh, six months after he gave his life to the Lord, I talked to him, and he said, you know, if I counted all the happiness and all the joy I've ever experienced in my life, he said, the last six months since I knew the Lord, uh, it would so outweigh all the joy I've ever felt in my life, it wouldn't even compare so I know I serve God because he's worthy, not because of what I get out of it. I'm like, dude, you got it. But, but that's, that only came. Dima only was going to love the Lord because God pursued him through Brent because Brent was pursuing him relationally in, in his space and inviting him into that relationship with his creator. So we're excited 
uh, right now, Chi Alpha, we keep growing around the states. We've got, uh, CSU's got one of the biggest pioneering moments uh, Chi Alpha's done, uh, which is exciting and kind of scary for me. We, we've we sent out 40 staff at CSU in the last four years. And, and so we were one of the larger staff teams in the country and we just kind of said, that's not the goal. We want to we spread out. And, and so we'll have actually teams pioneering in Boulder, DU in Denver, Western and Gunnison. Uh, this fall, we just had a team pioneer at CSU in Pueblo uh, this last year. And you can't walk on that campus with that team without students just running up saying, hey, let's hang out. Hey, Dean, you know, hey, Cassos, hey, Dylan, like, hey, let's, and, and that's just so cool. And, you know, we've pioneered, uh, we have another team uh, heading to Russia next month, actually have their visas, actually, like, are getting into the country. So pray for them. There's a team, we have about, uh, well, there's about six of them that are going to be going this, this school year to go to Russia and, and continue working there and Portugal and a lot of things. So, so just be praying for us. Uh, it's an exciting time, but it's also uh, exhausting uh, emotionally because we have all these friends and we're like setting them out. And, and so we're, we're taking our friends and saying, hey, get out of here and, and do this somewhere else and sharing the love of Christ where they're at. So um, yeah, just appreciate you guys this morning. Appreciate the time to just be able to like share a little bit of the vision. Uh, and some of our prayer right now is just saying, hey, help, just pray for us. We're, we're on a battle for the next generation, but it's not a hopeless prayer. It's a prayer full of purpose because what happens when we see uh, disciple makers raised up from every university around Colorado? What does that do to the future of our church, to the future of, of our, the kingdom of God as we make disciple makers that are going, whether it's the university and pioneering Chi Alphas or the world or in the marketplace here in our own cities around the state. So we're just, we're excited and we have kind of a moment that's, that's fundamental that I think will affect the next 20 years uh, in our ministry, in our movement. Uh, but be praying for us. Yeah. And we just appreciate the partnership and the friendship with local churches like you guys. And so appreciate the opportunity to come down and just spend a little time with you. But Pastor Nate, uh, if you want to come and close us out, thanks for the time. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.